What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Thursday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can hit me up over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Make sure you check out Ethos Fantasy BB, guys. That's where all of our new work is released on the baseball side. Podcast articles, different stuff that gets posted directly to Twitter. All of it is there for you at Ethos Fantasy BB. We actually had a new piece come out yesterday from one of our newest contributors, Michael Fisher, talking about players who will be most influenced by the shift changes next season, the new rules regarding where infielders can play. Really great piece that he released. It is up on the website, of course, but make sure you go check it out at Ethos Fantasy BB. That is the best, most convenient place to get all of our baseball stuff right in one feed there for you. Now, today we're going to get back to our SP reviews. We have bounced around a little bit in our terms of our content over these last few weeks. When the stove has been hot, we've talked about signings. When it's been cold, we've gone back to these review shows. Yesterday, I was joined by Matt Williams for a great episode talking about some ADP strategies, players to take based on where they are going in drafts, his general philosophies in terms of where to take players, where to take certain positions. It was a really great episode. It's already in your feed if you're subscribed to the channel. Just go check out yesterday's show. And if you're not already, hit the subscribe button. Let us know what you think in the comments. Uh, leave some kind of review if you guys would be so kind. Let us know what you think about the shows that you guys have been hearing here. But we are going to be looking at another SP review show today. There are going to be six names that we are going to go over. We're mostly through the important starting pitchers. We're going to do a couple of deep uh, SP shows as we get closer to the season in terms of players to be keeping an eye on for next year. We're not going to go so deep into that in terms of reviews for la for last season. Uh, we'll talk about some names who are more deeper league guys. Uh, but for the most part, we're talking about guys who you drafted last year who had relatively good seasons, how they performed, and also looking ahead to their draft positions for next season based on these early drafts that have taken place. Going to get to relief pitchers next week. Greg Jewett is going to be joining me either on Wednesday or Thursday. We're still figuring out exactly what works best. But sometime late next week, uh, Greg Jewett of Reliever Recon and The Athletic is going to be here talking with us about some of those elite relief pitchers from 2022 and their outlook for next season. But enough of the rambling for me. Let's get to talking about these pitchers. The first one we are going to go over today is Robbie Ray. And Robbie Ray was coming off of a, a miracle season, a true miracle season in 2021 with the Blue Jays. To be honest with you, probably a fairly fraudulent Cy Young season if we look back on it. I mean, already now it doesn't look the greatest when you look back on what he did. It was a great season for him, but in terms of, you know, all-time you know, looking at all the Cy Young winners in a few years, we're going to be looking back and say, wow, Robbie Ray won a Cy Young. It's one of those Rick Porcello type of random, out-of-the-blue <clears throat> kind of players you wouldn't really expect to have won a Cy Young based on the majority of their career. Uh, the way that he performed in 2020, granted only over 51 innings, very short sample size, he walked almost 18% of his batters. He was striking out only 27, which is still very good, but in terms of a guy who relies on the power, the power fastball there to get you out. Not that it's so fast, but he throws a lot of fastballs, 60-plus percent. Always been a big strikeout guy. Uh, to have a 9% strikeout minus walk rate, absolutely atrocious no matter what the sample size is. He bounced back in a huge way in 2021, won the Cy Young Award, cashed in, went to Seattle, and we were all drafting him pretty high up this season. He was going in the first few rounds. Typically, I think he was a third, fourth round pick, depending on where you're playing, how big the league was. Generally going in the 30, 40, 50 range. Again, it varies ESPN to NFBC to Yahoo to Fantrax, but you had to pay for him. Essentially, you had to pay for Robbie Ray this past season, and he honestly didn't really pay off so much. He had 12 wins and 12 losses. 
He had a 371 ERA, and the strikeouts were still good. They came down from 32 to 27 percent. But, you know, we were paying up for quite a bit. And, again, you got 200 strikeouts. You got 212 strikeouts. So it's hard to really complain. But considering the amount of innings he threw, you would have probably hoped for something closer to what he did in 2021. It just wasn't going to happen. That was a miracle year for him. It was the best year of his career. 2017 was also a fantastic season, but I don't think we can really argue so much considering the fact that he won the Cy Young, career high in innings, and the rest of it, that it was his best season of his career. And there's a couple of reasons why 2021 was so great for him. Very low BABIP, his second lowest BABIP outside of surprise, 2017, where in that year it was 267. Last year, in 2021, it was 268. So very low BABIP for him. He's usually a 300 BABIP guy for the career. That's one. Number two, he stranded just over 90% of his base runners for the entire season. It's unrealistic for anybody to do that really year in and year out. You might see some relievers do it here and there. But for a starting pitcher logging, you know, as many innings as he typically does, it wasn't going to happen year in and year out. 77.5% for the career. It came back down to earth this year a little bit. Still very good at 81.2%. Now, this season, a lot of people were forecasting that there would be a downturn for Robbie Ray. It was impossible to not expect some regression after the year that he had in 2021, going to a new environment, leaving his pitching coach, Pete Walker, where he had a really good relationship with him. And he fixed something in him, you know, because it would have been a tough, tough couple of years, progressively getting, honestly, worse and worse for Robbie Ray up until 2021 in Toronto. Went to a new team, new environment, new pitching coaches, new everything, and he took a bit of a step back. A 371 ERA, the pitching indicators were all right, uh, 359 XERA, 417 FIP, 358 XFIP, and the Sierra was, I always lose the Sierra on fan graphs, 350. So not a not a terrible season for him. Probably not what you were expecting if you paid up a third or a fourth round pick out of him. Give you 12 wins, which is about average for a guy like him who you were drafting at that range. You know, nothing crazy. 12 wins, 12 losses. Started 32 games, 189 innings. He was fine. He was not somebody that you were terribly excited to throw out there week in and week out. There were times when he was on really good stretches. Like his month of June, he had a 219 ERA. The month of August was 164. But the month of May, it was 534. The month of July, it was 540. Overall, in the first half, it was a 354 ERA. Second half, fewer innings. It was a four on the dot ERA. Not something to really write home about in terms of his production. And, you know, I worry heading into next season about where we are going to be drafting Robbie Ray. Uh, Right now, he is going inside of the top 100. He is just inside of the top 100 for ADP at 95.25. I don't love it. I really don't love it. I've talked at length, ad nauseum at this point, about how much I love pitchers in that general range, going between about pick 60 and about 130. I think it's a fantastic range. I wouldn't really include Robbie Ray in that grouping. Not that I think he's going to be bad or anything. I don't really know what he's going to be. He's a guy where year in, year out, pretty volatile. I mean, he's had, you know, years where he's over six for ERA. He's had years where he's, you know, over four, under four, below three. Uh, Overall for the career, 395 ERA, but that's come with quite a bit of variance over his eight seasons, nine seasons in the big leagues. I think eight seasons. Uh, And, you know, it's hard to predict year in, year out what he's going to do. He's going, you know, he's the last pitcher going inside the top 100 by ADP, and I just can't really get behind him in that range, especially considering how much I like pretty much everybody else going in this range, even two of his own teammates, George Kirby just six picks behind him, and then Logan Gilbert going, you know, about a round, round and a half later, 17 picks later at 112 
We talked about Logan Gilbert a couple days ago. I really like Logan Gilbert. I think there's room for him to grow. George Kirby, there is certainly room for him to grow. With Robbie Ray, we're not going to see him get any better than what we saw in 2021 and 2017. That would be the absolute best-case scenario for him. Does he get back to it? Really hard to say, considering how volatile he is year in and year out. Whereas with Kirby and Gilbert, I think they're on an upward trajectory. With Ray, it's really, really hard to, to know where we're going to be going with him. Nick Pollock talked about Jose Barrios, calls him the great undulator. Uh, I think that that name can also apply to Robbie Ray. To a lesser extent, there's not the same you know levels to it. It's not going to be as wide of a of a range of outcomes, I don't think, with Robbie Ray as opposed to a Jose Barrios. But there's still a lot of questions that I have going into next season in terms of what he's going to do. Now, the team around him is fantastic. As much as I hate what they did to my Blue Jays, Seattle's really good. Seattle is a strong, strong team. As much as they weren't a couple of years ago, uh, they've really developed their team well. Their starting rotation is fantastic. The one through four is, is excellent. You could honestly throw them at a wall and arrange them any which way, and you wouldn't really be incorrect in how you'd order them. You could have Ray first, and then Kirby, and then Castillo, then Gilbert. You could have Gilbert, and then Castillo, and then Kirby. Like you, There's literally any way you could arrange them. You, you couldn't really go wrong as long as you have Marco Gonzalez in the fifth slot. You look at their lineup. We've talked about this. They've brought in Colton Wong. They've brought in Teoscar Hernandez. Maybe we see Jared Kelnick finally take that step forward that we've been waiting for. This team could make a lot of noise. They could be close to a 100-win team realistically, and I, I don't say that lightly. They won 90 games this season. I think it's a distinct possibility they can get to 95 to 100 wins this year. I don't think that that is crazy at all. But Robbie Ray, <coughs> excuse me, guys, I don't know that Robbie Ray is somebody that I'm going to be banking on considering the price. I'd much rather wait around and take Logan Gilbert. Even waiting you know, a few picks, it might be the next round, and you take George Kirby, and you're giving up some of that strikeout upside. You're not going to get the same level of Ks, most likely. Again, another thing that's kind of bounced around for him, he's typically about 27 28%. Maybe he maintains that, but for me, I will take George Kirby in about 24% strikeout rate with a better walk rate and, you know, being on an upper trajectory on that same team as opposed to Robbie Ray and even Logan Gilbert. I'll take I'll take Logan Gilbert and I'll take George Kirby both ahead of Robbie Ray going in that same range. I just feel more comfortable in their skill sets going forward with Ray. We don't really know what he's going to give you. There's always been some control problems that he, granted, has seemed to have gotten better at these last couple of years. But I just don't have that same kind of confidence in him that we had starting him in the 2021 season and early in the 2022 season. I just think that he may have fooled us a little bit because of that one great year, and now he's somebody that's possibly still being overdrafted because of it. If he was just any old schmo and he gave you a 371 ERA, 12 wins, you know, 10 strikeouts per nine, which is for the him this year 27K percentage, he's not somebody that would be going where he is going. It is it is a lot of it, the remnants of the Cy Young year that a lot of people benefited from. He won a lot of people leagues that year, and now people are still overdrafting him a bit. The min pick for him is 61. Absolutely ridiculous. I can't get behind it. In the range, we've already talked about so many great pitchers. For me, I just don't think it's really worth it to take Robbie Ray at this point. But let's talk about another guy we spent a lot of time on, Robbie Ray here, Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray is somebody that I really don't know how to feel about year in and year out. Again, similarly to Robbie Ray, different, differently, but similarly at the same time, uh, pretty volatile. You know, there's been years where he's been above a 5 ERA, another year where he's close to a 5, like his year with the Yankees, it was a 4-9 ERA. 
Uh, you know, his 2016 was 5.69. But then you look at other years, you know, his early years in Oakland, 2.73, 2.67, 3.08. Granted, better pitcher's ballpark. But then 2019 was Cincinnati, 2.87 ERA. So how do you even classify what he does? You can't say it's park dependent if he's going out there a great American and giving you a good season, a couple of them in a row. This year, this past season in Minnesota, 119 innings. He had eight victories, a 3.08 ERA, and he gave you 8.8 strikeouts per nine, which was 24% for him. I, I, I should just use strikeout percentage. I shouldn't use strikeouts per nine, really. Uh, it is a more accurate way of looking at it. 24% strikeout rate, 7.4% walk rate. I think he's fine. I think he's okay. And, I mean, considering where he is going in drafts, you don't need to be quite as worried as you would be about Robbie Ray. Sonny Gray is going to pick 222. Totally different skill set, but there's also some similarities there. You're both you're talking about another really good team. And Minnesota, sneaky, but I think that they could be a potential division winner in the central. I, I wouldn't project it like when I'm I'm I don't know if I'm gonna do standing projections. Probably not. Maybe just for fun, I'll do an article or something like that or a podcast. But I, I wouldn't be shocked at all to see the twins come out of the central. Honestly, looking at their lineup, you know, you could see a better season out of Joey Gallo. I know that that's crazy to say, but maybe Joey Gallo getting out of the spotlight. We've talked about this. He gives you a better year uh, away from Los Angeles and New York and places where he hasn't done well these last couple of seasons. Uh, you know, we could see Nick Gordon have another very good year. Jose Miranda could take a step forward. Maybe we see Alex Kirilov also give you the season that we've been hoping for for a couple of years now. You add that in with maybe you get a healthy Byron Buxton and Luis Arias doing what he does. Jorge Polanco. There's a lot of ifs. Granted, there are a lot of ifs. But you got a really solid lineup. You got a pretty damn solid rotation, a low key, pretty solid rotation. When you got Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, Tyler Molly, returning Kenta Maeda, and Bailey Ober. I've seen a lot worse. I've seen a lot worse rotations there. That could be a really strong five guys. Uh, you know, even I'm not really sure how they're going to arrange it. I would expect probably Joe Ryan gets the ball on opening day, but maybe it is Sonny Gray. It, it's potentially could be either one of them. Tyler Molly, you know, he didn't do too great once he came over, but he's somebody who is quite a bit better than what he showed us last season. And then when you look at the bullpen, Jorge Lopez, uh, Joan Duran, who I'm a huge Duran fan. Uh, you got Giovanni Moran. You got some guys in that pen who had really good years, and they could potentially build on that. And again, I know there are a lot of ifs there, but I think we're talking about a really good team here in Minnesota. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they came away with this division, considering it is a fairly weak division. Now, most people are going to take the Guardians of the White Sox, and I probably would too, but I think the Twins are going to be pretty sneaky, and maybe you see Sonny Gray be the leader of that rotation again. A lot of question marks. I think considering the price for him, it doesn't hurt to take a chance here. I pick 222. I think it's very reasonable in this range. You're not getting a ton of upside. You're getting, you know, admittedly someone who is a little bit volatile. But over these last couple of years, he has been a lot more consistent than what we saw over the first few years. If you look at the pitching indicators, they're pretty consistent going back about three, four years now. Roughly a 3-5 in terms of the XERA, FIP, and XFIP. That's generally where he's been. Uh, earlier in the career, he bounced around quite a bit, but over these last couple of years, a little more consistent. And now he's in Minnesota, much better ballpark than what he has been in going back to 2018. The Yankees, as a right-handed pitcher pitching there, did not do many favors. Obviously, Cincinnati, he did well in Cincinnati. It's kind of hard to say why that happened, considering how hitter-friendly that ballpark is. And his home run numbers were you know, still, still really good, like less than a homer per nine while he was there, other than 2021, where it was 1.26, uh, and that wasn't the greatest year for him. 
but he's someone who you can probably rely on considering where the price is. If it was any more expensive, if he was inside the top 200, I wouldn't really want to take a bite on him. But I think that given the fact that he's on a really good team, uh, he has a fairly high floor. You know, he's not somebody where you'd really be expecting him to go back to those, you know, early career numbers of a, a above five ERA. Like I wouldn't expect that, even though there is some variance to be expected, anywhere between like a three five and maybe, no, honestly, even lower than that, like a three two five to maybe a three seven five to four range for ERA <clears throat> with fairly average strikeouts. I think that you're you're pretty fine in this range considering what he does. Now he hasn't been out there as much as you might have hoped these last two seasons. Uh, 50 total starts over the last two years. He's missed a little bit of time. You'd like to see a little more per game upside, a little more volume as well. But I think considering the price, uh, I'd be pretty okay having a few shares of Sonny Gray. He's not one of my targets for next year or anything like that. I think he's fine. Uh, but given the price, uh, give me give me a couple shares of Sonny Gray anyway. Blake Snell is the next guy that we are going to be talking about here. He is one of my guys for next season. I haven't really planted flags for next year at all. I saw Michael Simeone tweeted something out about that earlier today. Who are your guys for next year? Still a little early for me to fully plant flags, but Blake Snell is going to be one of my guys. I'm telling you right now, I love him. Honestly, we've seen it the last couple of years where there was you know, a fairly poor first half of the season or even first couple of months of the season followed by you know relative dominance down the stretch. If you look at 2022, the first half, he got shit on. He had a 5.22 ERA. Uh, he was not doing well at all. The strikeout, let me just take a look at the strikeouts in the first half. I don't think they were that great for him. Uh, they were actually, I mean, for him, I mean, for anybody, they're still pretty good. Uh, 11.8 per nine innings, 29% strikeout rate. In the second half, Got the strikeout rate up to 34%, and he got the ERA down to 219 over a bigger sample size. The first half was only 50 innings. The second half was 78 innings. With the team that he's got around him now, and that is, you know, it's it's very important for pitchers, the team that is around them. We've talked about this a lot with Jose Urquidy over the course of last season and a little bit in the offseason as well. He's not a great pitcher, but the fact that he pitches for Houston means he has fantasy value. Somebody like Snell, who has granted He's had some problems. Like, there have been years where not good. Like, ever since the Cy Young year, really, there's been a couple of years. Where 2019, not great. 429 ERA. Uh, you know, the expected stats were a lot better. Uh, 2020 was better in terms of the actual numbers than the expected stats were worse. 2021 was, was a disaster for him. And then this year, he actually really settled back in. But you take that and you take it on a team where, you know, they're an early pick of mine for the World Series. That was before they got Bogarts. I picked them to win the World Series, you know, during the playoffs. I was saying next year is going to be their year, and then I almost thought it was going to be this year. Uh, for a while there, they were doing really well in the playoffs. But if you look forward to next season, what this team has in the rotation, they got a Darvish, Musgrove, Snell, big three. You got Hayter, Suarez, Luis Garcia in the bullpen there with a couple other guys who can fill in pretty damn well in terms of middle relievers, guys who last year – we're giving you, you know, 50, 40, 65 plus innings and giving you good ERA. Steven Wilson, Tim Hill, Nabil Krismat, they give you good, solid years in relief last year, a very solid road, uh, solid bullpen. And then you look at that lineup, which is just absolutely stupid. Right now projected to be Kim, Soto, Machado, Bogarts, Cronenworth, Matt Carpenter, the who they recently signed, Austin Nola, Trent Grisham, Jose uh, Azokar, who I'm not really too familiar with, to be honest with you guys. 
And then freaking Fernando Tatis is going to be coming back a couple weeks into the season. This team is going to be really, really good. I don't think the Dodgers are going to be quite as good as last year. I would project that the Padres are going to win the NL West. That, you know, and this is, this is coming off as like a, a hot take kind of episode, which is not what I intended. Uh, but I think the Padres are, are going to likely win the NL West. I don't see much path to the Dodgers repeating considering the offseason they've had, especially compared to what San Diego's done. And when you look at Blake Snell, you know, the main problem that I would have is worry about how many times he's going to be out there, how deep he's going to go into games. Because these last couple of seasons, 128 innings, 128 innings both times. You'd like to see more volume than that. However, the per-game upside combined with you know, how he has performed down the stretch in both of these last two seasons, I would be completely in on him considering the price at 124. If you're talking about either him or Robbie Ray, 30 picks above him, give me Blake Snell Every single day. No question about it. He is the guy that I'm going to be going for. And I think it's a decent comparison there. You're looking at two power lefties. Not that, you know, not that Robbie Ray throws particularly hard. And, you know, even Snell, like he throws hard, but they're not. Okay, maybe power is weird. Big strikeout, fastball dominant lefties. Uh, they're, they're fairly similar. I would take Snell almost every single time there based on everything that we've seen. You might get a little bit more volume out of Robbie Ray because over the last couple of years he's thrown to more innings than Blake Snell has. But we've also talked about how that can be total bullshit and you might have one year where you throw 200 innings and then get injured in the first start the next season. It's very hard to predict based on that kind of thing. But I think you're taking Blake Snell here, regardless of the innings that you can look at for previous years. Uh, in terms of the projections, Robbie Ray is projected for 30 more innings, according to Steamer, with a slightly higher ERA and you know slightly fewer strikeouts. Uh, I know that I look at them so much for pitchers, but I'll look at them here a little bit, here and there anyway. I'll look at Steamer, Zips, and the rest of them, and then when the bat and ATC come out, I'll look at those ones a little more closely. I think that when you look at them, when you look at what Snell has done in his career, the per-game upside that comes with him on a great team, I'm going to be taking him in a lot of drafts. Like he is, he is the guy I'm going to plant my flag on for next season. I think he's going to have a fantastic season, and I think the price is going to be a lot more expensive heading into 2024 drafts. Currently, 124 on average in DCs. It feels very, very cheap for a guy with the upside that Blake Snell has. Only a couple of years removed from winning a Cy Young and giving you 180 fantastic innings. I think he can possibly do that again. Maybe 180 is a lot to ask for, but like they're projecting on Steamer, 160. If he gives you 160 innings with what they're projecting, I would be absolutely over the moon with that, and I think you guys should be too. Now let's talk about somebody whose game is completely different than what Blake Snell gives you. It's Cal Quantrill, a guy who I like. I don't like nearly as much as I like Blake Snell. I still like him. Let's talk about what he did this season. He was 15-5 and over 186 innings. He gave you a 338 ERA. Now, the problem with Cal Quantrill, he struck out 16% of batters. It's it's really tough when, you know, we talked about per-game upside with guys like Snell and with Robbie Ray, and we've talked about that throughout the offseason with certain players. Jacob deGrom is, an, is a huge one. Hunter Green, to a much lower extent, they can give you those massive strikeout numbers where even if they go out there and they get roughed around a little bit, they give up four, five earned runs or whatever it is, you can still look back and say, okay, they gave me six strikeouts over three and two-thirds. Even though it was kind of a tough outing, <clears throat> I still have some strikeouts to put away from it. If Cal Quantrill goes out there and gives you a bad outing, there's nothing to fall back on. There is nothing to fall back on. And as good as Cleveland is, 
you know, those 15 victories are not going to be necessarily sticky year in and year out. They had a really good season, but you can't look at that and say, you know, he's going to win half of his games going forward every single year. I think that that's asking quite a bit, despite the fact that I love the Guardians. I think that they are a great team. They've constructed themselves incredibly well, considering how cheap they are with their free agent spending. They don't go out there and throw a lot of money at people, but they still build incredible teams. I, I, I can't really look at it and say, you know what, I, I can see him being a 15-win guy every single year. Will it happen again at some point? Perhaps. I, I just can't, I can't bank on that. I can't draft him for that reason. Now, considering the price where he's going, I still really like him. And I know that sounded like I'm contradicting myself. I, I can't draft him for that reason of wins. If you're drafting him, it's for ratios. It is absolutely for the ratios, specifically the ERA. For his career, and you got to kind of take away his rookie year in San Diego, he came to Cleveland, where they are known for developing pitching, completely changed. So his first year, 516 ERA, and every year since, 225, 289, and this year, 338 was the highest year in the bunch for him. Now, over the years, he's throwing more sliders since he did. So that first year, let's just talk about the pitch mix, first of all. 57% fastball, 21 slider, 18 changeup in that first year that was in San Diego. This past season, which is three years later, he's throwing 48% fastballs, 36% sliders, and 12% changeups. And he's also mixing in a curveball 3-4% of the time, which hasn't really changed. He's throwing that fastball less. He's throwing more off-speed pitches, and they are more valuable pitches. If you look at fan graphs and their pitch values, his fastball is his worst pitch. His slider is his best pitch, and his changeup second best pitch, the curveball, is a pretty neutral pitch. He's throwing those pitches more that are more effective for him, which is, you know, it shouldn't be rocket science, but it seems like there are certain teams that do know how to uncover these certain facts, like Cleveland, you know, like you'll see in San Francisco. Those are the two main ones. Occasionally, the Blue Jays pull a rabbit out of the hat. There are a couple other teams that, you know, develop pitching well. There are a couple teams that, you know, they kill pitching. The Angels, they kill pitch. I don't really understand how... You know, everybody has access to this information. I don't understand how there are, and I, I know I'm oversimplifying it, sure, but I don't, I don't, I don't get how there are certain teams that are so far behind the curve in terms of things like that. Anyway, with Quantrill, he is a guy where you can bank on good ratios with poor strikeouts and probably a mediocre number of wins. I wouldn't expect any more than maybe 12 victories from him. Steamer hasn't projected for nine, which feels a little conservative. I mean, Steamer hasn't projected for a 4.61 ERA, which I can't see why they would think he would be that much worse. The expected stats, the XERA, FIP, XFIP, they're all worse for the career than his ERA, but he's also somebody who is, doesn't really fall into that grain of we have to look at the expected stats exclusively. There are certain pitchers where there is something missed in those in those stats. Sandy Alcantara is one of them. We mentioned Jose Urquidy. Uh, you know, Quantrill is another guy where he outperforms them pretty much every single year. He has for three years in a row now. Uh, he's outperformed the XERA, the FIP, and the XFIP. There's going to come a time where we have to maybe, and maybe the time is now, to look at why he is doing that, and maybe there's something in those metrics that is being missed. I think it's because of the low strikeouts, because he doesn't. he's not a power pitcher. Those metrics tend to favor pitchers who get more strikeouts. He has, you know, awful strikeout numbers. Admittedly, awful. 16%. Now he's walking only 6% of batters. But a 10.5% uh, K-minus walk rate is, is not great. It really isn't. And that's the only reason why I'd be a bit hesitant to draft him next season. 
But at the same time, at pick 313, you can't really go wrong with him. I think if you're taking him there, he's not going to be someone that you rely on year in and year out, or not even here in this year, excuse me. He's going to be somebody that's going to be one of the last picks in your draft, assuming, you know, like we usually talk about here during the regular season, 10 and 12 teamers. That's what I like. That's my bread and butter, especially 12 teamers, five by five, head to head, 12 teamers. I don't think that there's going to be much harm in taking him with one of your last picks there. It's a little bit different in a DC where you're going to have to have him the entire year. He's still going in the first half of the draft. But I think, you know, if you build a team where you're very confident in your strikeout numbers early on, you have guys, you know, who are your Coles and your Burns and your Striders and the guys where you're, you're very confident in their strikeout numbers and you get down to that range and we're talking, we're talking how many starting pitchers or how many pitchers deep at this point? We're talking 121 pitchers off the board. I don't have a problem taking Cal Quantrill there. I think that it's totally fine as long as you have your strikeouts already squared away. Or maybe it's hard to do a punt build really in NFBC formats. But if you're trying to punt something and let's say you don't have a lot of strikeouts, you want to lean into that build and just say to hell with it. We'll go more for a ratio build. We'll go for relief pitchers and yada, yada then he's perfect in that regard as well. So I really like him the more I think about it in this range. I don't think there's a ton of upside there. I don't think the wins are going to repeat, but I think that he has a fairly stable floor for you in terms of those ratios that he's going to give you while pitching for uh, still a very good team. So he could win 12, 15 games again. I think 12 is about as many as I would want to project him for, though. Let's talk about a couple of pitchers for the Marlins here before we let you guys go. Jesus Lazardo and Edward Cabrera are going to be the guys we talk about. Jesus Lazardo, hard to really know what we are going to get out of him at the major league level still because this year was the most innings he'd ever pitched, and it was 100 innings. He did very well while he was out there for the most part, but we're still not exactly sure what we're going to get out of him, how many innings can he pitch. Uh, you know, he started off the season really well. His first start of the year was against the Angels in Los Angeles, 12 strikeouts over five innings. He was dominant. People went and started adding him up. Then the next start was four earned runs over four and a third, and not so great. A couple of good ones, and then mixed in with a couple of bad ones. Then he missed most of the season. Like, he was out from the middle of May until early August. Uh, was it August? Yeah. Yeah, August 1st is when he came back after leaving May 10th. He missed most of the season. He came back. He was pretty good. Uh, he had some starts, again, where they were very good numbers, some starts where they were very bad numbers. Against the Mets, five earned runs, three strikeouts. Uh, that was in September. He also had a game against the Phillies where he had two earned runs, nine strikeouts. He had 11 strikeouts against Chicago. He ended the season against Atlanta, six innings of shutout ball with 12 Ks. So he's a guy, again, uh, like we were talking about earlier with Robbie Ray, a little bit volatile. Like he can give you really great numbers. He can also give you some kind of poor numbers just mixed in in one season there, not talking about year in and year out, but just throughout the course of the year, there were some really good ones and some stinkers, but it all averaged out to a 332 ERA. The expected numbers, the pitching indicators, all pretty good. The XERA was 339, the FIP 312, the XFIP 311, and the Sierra was 328. All very good, all indicating that he should be able to continue this over the course of a full season, especially when you look at the strikeout numbers, 30% this year after previously bouncing around a little bit. And again, hard to even really gauge what he can be because the sample sizes are so small. He's only started 45 games in his entire career. 18 of them came this season, his first couple of years in Oakland. He got nine starts in 2020, but very hard to judge somebody based on such a small sample size, especially in 2021. He was absolutely brutal. Over 95 innings, his ERA was 661, and the indicators while they were a little bit better, were still pretty atrocious. 
So pretty hard to know exactly what Jesus Lizardo is going to be. But I think that you'd feel pretty confident taking him at his current ADP, which is 153. His minimum pick, a little bit high at 114, maximum 185. That, that's really good range. But at 153, I think you can bank on some upside there with the strikeouts. I think the team is going to be okay. I wouldn't expect much out of them, perfectly honest with you. I think that they're going to be probably, I don't know, can they can they be a 500 team? It's maybe. I wouldn't expect that. I think probably a slightly below 500 team. But there is definitely potential there. Uh, when you look at the rotation, the fact that they have Trevor Rogers as their fifth starter – like, he's coming off of a, of a stinker of a year. But considering he's their fifth starter, like, a lot of teams would be very happy with that. Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Jesus Lizardo, Edward Cabrera, and then Trevor Rogers. That's a really good starting rotation. The lineup is not great, to be honest with you. I think we all know this. Outside of Jazz Chisholm, there's, there's not a lot to get excited about. Garrett Cooper, I think Garrett Cooper might have been an all-star this year, actually. He's he's okay. He can give you some good, you know, decent on-base percentage, but not a great lineup. I think when you're looking at the pitchers, that's the strength, the starting rotation there. The bullpen is kind of okay uh, between Floro and Scott. Uh, JT, JT Chargua, I think it's pronounced Chargua. Uh, they have a, a decent, decent little uh, bullpen. But I think the rotation is their strength, and Luzardo should be among those strengths again next season. Assuming that we can get more innings out of him, obviously injuries are going to be somewhat of a factor, somewhat of a scare for people. Steamer's projecting him for 146 innings with a 3.85 ERA. I think the innings, that should be probably about right. Like you have to bake in some concern for a guy who's never thrown over 100 innings. Granted, he's still very young, Lazardo. He's only 25 years old. So we have to take that with a grain of salt a little bit. I mean, I would have liked to have seen him not get hurt this year, give you 160 innings. But it's something that you have to still consider when you're making your evaluations. I think 146, you know, anywhere from that 140 to 160 inning range is probably what you should expect. I wouldn't expect the ERA to fall that much to 385. And I wouldn't expect the strikeout numbers to go back down. They're expecting uh, that 30% strikeout rate to go back down to 25. I don't think that we should see it fall that much. I think we should still be able to see him upper 20s at least, if not in the low 30s, because we've seen that potential on multiple different occasions this past season, like we were talking about 12 strikeouts to bookend the season. He had 12 on opening day. He had 12 to finish it off, and he also mixed in, like we said, 11 against the Cubs. There was nine there against the Phillies, many times out with seven. In fact, there was only a couple times where he was below five strikeouts, and there was typically against tougher teams, of the exception of a game against his old squad in Oakland there. He was giving you five, six, seven, eight plus strikeouts pretty much every single time. So that that strikeout number, I wouldn't expect it to go down. I think if there's anything to worry about, it's the team context and the fact that wins are probably going to be kind of hard to come by. 18 starts last year with a good ERA, only four victories. It's just going to happen for playing with a bad team. But I think given the price, I would be pretty okay to take him where he is going. It's a range where it starts to fall off a little bit in terms of how much I like these guys. Like the last guy in that, you know, I've talked about that 60 to 130 kind of range for me. The last guy in that range that I really like taking that I'm comfortable with is, is Clayton Kershaw. And even him, you have to bake in the fact that he is going to miss time. He's going to give you probably 120, 130 innings at absolute most. Beyond that, I don't love it so much. You start to get into your Lance Lins and your Joe Ryans and those kind of names, but I think Lazardo is one of the guys that I would be more comfortable with if we're talking about, you know, roughly round 10 in a 15-teamer. He is somebody there where, you know, there's not a ton of strikeout upside in this range. 
again, there's not a lot of win upside in this range really either. If you, I mean, there, it depends who you're talking about. For the most part, I wouldn't expect a ton of wins from Joe Ryan. Uh, Lance Lynn, maybe. Giolito, maybe. It's hard to say. Pablo Lopez is also going in this range. Hard to say how many wins he's going to give you. Chris Sale, Tony Gonsolin. We don't really know what to expect from them. I think with Lazardo, again, there are questions. We don't know exactly what to expect, but he is on more of an upper trajectory like we talked about earlier as opposed to somebody like a Tony Gonsolin who we don't really know if it's going to be an upper trajectory or not. It can't get any better than last season. It's probably going to get worse. And if you're talking in that same range, Lazardo or Gonsolin, give me Lazardo every time. Lazardo over Sale for me. Uh, Lazardo and Bassett is a coin flip. I think that they're both really close. If you're talking Lazardo and Pablo Lopez, teammates going within five picks of each other, I'll take Lazardo there too. So I am fairly bullish on him for next season. I think that we'll see likely 145 innings like they are projecting on Steamer, and I think that he will give you similar numbers across the board to what we saw over this past season. Also, I didn't really mention it, but his whip was 1.04. Uh, for the career, 1.28, which is ballooned by 2021. So that's another thing where he should be able to give you a fairly solid production in the ratios to go along with good strikeouts. If he's going to lack anywhere, it'll likely come in the win column. Let's talk about one other player, like we mentioned, Edward Cabrera, who will have some of those similar problems in terms of team context that we talked about with Jesus Lazardo. Now, in terms of what Cabrera has done for you at the big league level, we haven't seen that much of him. We've only seen him 21 starts this past season. It was 14 of them. It was seven the year before. This year, while he was out there, he was really good. The only problem was the expected numbers were quite a bit higher. So a couple things to look at. Six and four win-loss win record, 301 ERA, and he struck out 26, just about 26% of batters. That's the good. Now let's talk about the ugly. The XERA, the FIP, and the XFIP all with more than a run higher than the ERA, specifically the FIP, which is my favorite of all of the expected um, expected pitching indicating stats and that grouping of stats. FIP is the one I like to look at the most, the fielding independent pitching. That one was pretty ugly at 459 for him. That one was by far the worst. A couple other things to worry about. The BABIP he allowed, 207. He stranded 86% of the base runners that he allowed to reach base this season. Not good. Walking over 11% of batters still, something that has plagued him a little bit. Even in the minor leagues, the walk rate being a little bit high. He's always had good strikeout numbers, but the walk rate's also been something to worry about over the last couple of years anyway. You know, even in AAA in 2021, 14% walk rate. Uh, this year, AAA, 10% walk rate. Still not giving you that kind of control that you'd really hope for out of him. Now, I still I like him a lot. I think that there is some room for him to really have a good season, especially considering where he's going in drafts. I pick 206. I think that that's a good range for him. He's sandwiched between Grayson Rodriguez and Frankie Montas. I think that that's a really solid range for him, if not maybe a touch high, considering, like we said, the team context and the fact that we might see a little bit of regression from that 301 ERA. I think that we can still see really solid numbers out of him. Maybe they won't be great. They won't be perfectly you know, what we're hoping for. I don't think he'll give you a 3 ERA again, but can he give you like a 3.5, 3.75 ERA while striking out 25%, 26% of batters? Absolutely. And there's also room for that strikeout percentage to grow. As we saw in the minor leagues, he was touching over 30 35% on occasion. He's somebody where you can build in a little bit of growth potential there. He is going to be a stud, I think, at one point. And we got to remember, <clears throat> 24 years old still. 
We don't really know exactly what he can be, but the upside is really there for him in terms of strikeouts. It's something that is going to be coming. It might come with a bit of control problems. Maybe you see him have, I don't think he's going to do this exactly, but a Dylan Cease type of season. I I wouldn't be shocked to see him turn in a a similar season to what we saw happen with, with Dylan Cease last year. We need to see, I mean, the BABIP is going to correct itself, so is a left-on-base percentage. We need to see that not be a disaster like it was in 2021. Because in 2021, granted, seven starts, 26 innings. Hard to draw conclusions from. But the BABIP was 286. He left 70% of batters on base, which are both in line with, with the league average. Those are, those are pretty normal numbers if you looked at any random pitcher. 286 BABIP, 70% left on base. That's pretty average. His ERA was 581. His XERA was 806. His FIP was 663. And his XFIP was 514. Now, that was his first cup of coffee in the big leagues, 23 years old as a rookie on a very bad team. Not something that you can look at and say, okay, this is who he is forever. It's obviously there is going to be growth. There is going to be progression as a prospect, as a young pitcher. This is not, you know, you're not set in stone from year one, obviously. The fact that he made some strides last season, you know, got the walk rate down, got the strike or kept the strikeout rate where it was. I like that. It actually went up a little bit in terms of percentage. Strikeout per nine, I need to just completely stop looking at it. I need to just ignore it because I don't know why it's kind of ingrained in our heads to look at strikeouts per nine because it's what they always talk about. But it's kind of stupid. The more, you know, the more, the older I get and look at it, guys aren't going out there pitching nine innings every single time. You don't need to look at how many guys they strike out per nine innings. It's essentially looking at, you know, a start and a half for every pitcher. What do you get for every start and a half? You know, it's, it doesn't make much sense. Strikeout percentage is what I should look at more. It's what I tend to look at more, but I need to just exclusively use it. Strikeout percentage went up from 23.3 to 25.8. The walk percentage did go down from just south of 16 to 11.3. So there is definitely room for him to improve there. I am, I am worried about what we are going to see in terms of these expected numbers next season because not great in terms of what we saw this year. The ERA was quite a bit lower, and it was because of the BABIP and the left-on-base percentage. Those are, those are what it comes down to. He stranded a lot more runners than he probably should have, and a lot of balls that should have been base hits were not base hits. So he's someone who is a little bit tough to quantify for next season. I think in this range, he is probably worth a dart throw given the upside, and I honestly think it depends on if you do one draft or if you do many drafts. Because if you're doing one draft, like a lot of people, like a lot of my friends just play one league. They play in our home league. Maybe they play one other random, you know, points league because we do we do head-to-head categories, five by five. Uh, maybe some of them play in like a points league or some other stuff on the side. If you're just playing in one league, I don't know that he'd be someone that I necessarily want to take in this range. Maybe you go for the safest possible pick wherever you wherever you're drafting if you're just doing one league with maybe a sprinkles here and there of guys who have some upside. If you're drafting a ton of leagues, I have no problem diversifying and getting yourself some Edward Cabrera shares. I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think that there is room for him to have kind of a breakout season. I don't know that it will happen, but I think that a Dylan Cease-esque kind of season is not out of the possibility for Cabrera in 2023. Guys, that's going to wrap it up for us today. Really appreciate you guys continuing to check out the podcast. That much means a lot to me. I see more reviews coming in every day. That means a lot as well. I really appreciate that, especially if you guys are in the United States. That's where the most majority of people follow baseball, obviously. Uh, it means a lot for you guys to leave a review on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever it is that you get your podcast. Of course, we will take them, whether you're in 
North America or Europe or wherever you are, uh, very happy to have your input on the show. But especially those of you listening in the U.S. and Canada, uh, put your input down on the show. Let us know what you think here before you guys sign off for today. Also, check us out over on Twitter, like I have mentioned here, <clears throat> every single show off the top, <clears throat> at JoeOrico99, at EthosFantasyBB. EthosFantasyBB is where all of our new content is released from podcasts, articles, and the works. I'm going to have a couple articles coming out over the next couple of weeks. I'm working on my positional rankings and rankings in general. We'll have something out by the time. It won't be by the new year, most likely. We'll see. I'll try and have them out by new year, but I think likely uh, the first week of 2023, we will have some stuff uh, under my name on the website as well to go along with these podcasts. I've taken a bit of a bit of a break from writing over these last couple of months, recharged a little bit while I've been in school. It's been a lot to, to focus on between school and this I'm off school for a couple weeks, so we're going to start getting some writing back up and going on the website again. But, guys, I will leave you there. Enough of my rambling. I really appreciate you guys checking out the show. Thank you so much. Tomorrow we will likely, I think we're going to just recap the news of the week, the different free agent signings and things of that nature, unless there is some massive news we'll talk about. And maybe we'll review a couple of starting pitchers tomorrow as well. But, guys, take care. Have a great night. And cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.